Welcome to the Influential Personal Brand Podcast. This is the place where you'll learn cutting-edge personal brand strategies from today's most recognizable influencers. We're going to teach you how to build a rock-solid reputation and then how to turn that reputation into revenue. I'm your lead host, Rory Vaden, co-founder of Brand Builders Group, Hall of Fame speaker, and New York Times bestselling author of Take the Stairs. Real artists don't starve. That is a philosophy that I believe in. That is the title of my good friend, Jeff Goins' book, one of his books. He's written five books, I believe. He also wrote The Art of Work. And he is a true writer, a pure love, amazing, talented, gifted writer, which I admire because I write because it's necessary to speak and do the other things um, <laughs> that we do. But he is, he blogs at goingswriter.com. He's been featured in Psychology Today, Entrepreneur, Forbes. He lives here in Nashville. So I've known him for years now at this point. We just kind of like grew up in, in the business together. And he's just one of the coolest dudes. And he spends a lot of time with manuscripts, ones that he's writing. Uh, he's helping a lot of other people write their own manuscripts these days. And one of the things that he told me recently was, we don't let people write bad books. And I love that. And that's what we're talking about. So we have Jeff Goins here, who I brought on for free consulting and writing advice for me. I'm going to take advantage of it. You're welcome to listen into the conversation. Jeff, welcome to the show, buddy. Woo. Rory, happy to be here. I am looking at your backyard, which looks like a painting. And I'm remembering a time when you had a dinner party when I didn't know where the door to your house was. And I came through <laughs> that back door. I'm like, is this where we go? Anyway, happy to be here. Love that house. Yeah, you've been to the real Vaden Villa. You've been to the real spot, man. Is uh, that the name? Vaden Villa? Yeah, we call it Vaden Villa. Uh-huh. I love that. Uh-huh. And that, that's because if we ever put it on the market in Nashville, it's like, I think we could probably sell it for like More. 10 times over asking <laughs> yeah. price. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, Dave Ramsey's house is on the market. You could probably get something similar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we could sell ours and, and buy one of Dave's garage bays. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, buddy, so I want to talk about writing an awesome book. And first of all, Let's talk about the ideation process. You said something, we were jibber John before we got started here. And you said that good ideas make bad books. Why do you say that? What does that mean? Everybody's got an idea for a book and they think their idea is pretty good. And I wouldn't disagree with them. And the problem is that a good idea is not good enough. Good ideas are average. They are taken for granted. What most people call a good idea is a somewhat obvious observation about something true in the world. That thing could be your story. This is where a lot of people get stuck. They have something significant happen to them. They beat cancer. They lost 200 pounds. They built a business, whatever. And they think the story in itself, because it's so significant to them, and they talk to a handful of friends and go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like they can see that it's significant to the person that it happened to. And so their friends often encourage them, right? If you have friends who are not professional writers encouraging you to write a book, which is what I hear 90% of people, all my friends say, you know, I need to do this. 90% of people are saying that they've got a good idea and their friends are telling them that's not enough. And I'm not here to dissuade anybody. I'm here to challenge you to write something that 
people pay attention to. Mm. And you can go do that. This is what most people do is they have a good idea. Their friends who are not professional writers, right? Who are unqualified, right? Think about this for a second. Nobody thinks about this, but just because your friends, yeah, you know, all my friends say I'm pretty good at swimming. So I should become an Olympian. Are they <laughs> Olympians? Do they know what it takes? Writing a book is, as you know, Rory Vaden, an Olympic act. It's hard. Mm. Lots of people want to do it. Most people who start don't finish it. And I want to help people finish their books, but I also have a commitment to the book itself, to the world of books, to the pantheon of literature that we're not going to let more bad books go out into the world because it's easy to put a book into the world. It is relatively easy. I could write something on Microsoft Word today, upload it to kdp.amazon.com, and it would be published in a day or two. And so the fact that that opportunity exists is one, amazing, and two, it should feel, we should feel a burden of responsibility. Anytime something becomes dramatically easier, we should take a moment and stop and go, just because I can do this doesn't mean I should. And if I'm going to do this, I want to do it well. So everybody starts with a good idea and good ideas are average, they're ordinary, and ordinary ideas get forgotten. The book itself could be great. You know, they often are good books, but that is not enough to get people talking in the way that you. So, like, what makes it an so idea? Then, yeah. I, I love this. Like, what you yeah. just said, ordinary ideas get forgotten. Like, that's very sobering. And, yeah. you know, like, I mean, you can see that just on any social media post, right? You yeah. post it and it just immediately buried, like, buried, gone, disappears. So, yeah. like, if good ideas make bad books, Yes. What are the ideas that make great books? How the heck do we find them or make them? The idea is not to be better than good. It's to find your interesting edge. So the opposite of good is not great. It's interesting. Ordinary ideas, good ideas. What I call a good idea is an ordinary idea. Rory, the sky is blue. People should be nice. Littering causes pollution, right? These are obvious ideas. They're not untrue. They're not even bad ideas. They're just boring. And the way that you change people's minds, the way that you change the world is you change people's minds. And the way that you change people's minds is you introduce enough novelty to them that they remember it. So consider a spectrum. On one end of the spectrum, you have ordinary. That's boring. Ordinary ideas get forgotten. On the other end of the spectrum, you have absurd. Absurd ideas get rejected. Somewhere in between ordinary and absurd is interesting. And interesting is always more like towards absurd than you think it should be, right? And so one of the things that I experience in my own writing and in working with other people on their book ideas, and we have to start at the idea because as Ryan Holiday told me years ago, when I hired him to help me market Real Artists Don't Starve, he said, as soon, he goes, I've got to work on the book while you're writing it. I said, what? No, no, no. Marketing happens after you write the book. And he talks more about this in Perennial Seller. If those listening along want to read more about it, but he said something I never forgot. He said, once the book is written, the marketing is over. And there's some truth to that, I would imagine, in the work that you guys do where you know you can't put lipstick on a pig, right? There's that um, Ogilvy quote, good marketing makes a bad product fail faster. You've got to be able to innovate the thing. So we want to do stuff that's interesting. And interesting, I define as 80% same, 20% different. You know, this is that Don Miller story brand, same but different concept. You want it to be something that people go, oh yeah, a business book or a memoir. I know how those are. And you go, wait, 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 wait. But here's the 20% difference. Here's mm. the thing, because we know it works. Like books are 
a 500 plus year old technology. And they really haven't changed that much. They're words on a page. That's it. Right. And instead of using paper, sometimes we use screens, but it's still the same thing. Or you read it into a microphone, but it's, it's just words. Right. And so the technology hasn't really changed that much. So you don't want to mess with it too much. You know, I remember when people wanted to do like video books and all kinds of crazy multimedia things, and it didn't really work. And here we are 30 plus years into the internet and books still are books. And so 80% same, 20% different. Find something that. that everybody's saying and then add some novelty to it. Make it interesting. Change it up. How do you do that, right? Because there's like a delicate balance that you're talking about here. There is, if it's too unfamiliar, I can't understand it. I can't right. get my mind wrapped around it. That's I don't absurd. Know that it's we call, absurd. We call that absurd. Okay. If it's too much the same, it's like, okay, I've already heard it. Uh, this is nothing new. This is same old thing, regurgitated. This sounds like this person or that person or whatever. So how do you, you know, I almost kind of visualize this as like, I'm looking for the gold mine. Like, where do I dig? Like, where do I go? Ah, this is the part where I can nuance it. Yep. It's like cooking and interestingness. Novelty is like salt. And if you've ever cooked and salted your own food or gotten a meal, you know, at a restaurant or that somebody cooked for you and, and added a little bit of salt, like, this, is, this is kind of better, right? And added a little bit of salt, this is kind of better. And then you add too much and you're like, now all I taste is the salt. Novelty is like salt. As soon as you can taste it, there's too much, right? Like it is kind of an intuitive feeling thing. It is a thing that as somebody who's been doing online marketing for 20 plus years, it's a thing that I have a knack for, which is why people hire me to do it. But anybody can do it if you can become aware enough of what that line is. And the way I do that is I start with category. What is this thing, right? You have to start with category. If people tell me nobody's ever written a book like this before, I go, well, that's a problem, right? Nobody, you can't wrap your head around it, right? And so the phrase is, it's like this, but different like that, right? Same, but different. So take the Hunger Games, for example, you know, the Hunger Games is like The Running Man, which was a short story that Stephen King wrote in the 80s. And it was turned into a movie with Arnold Schwarzenegger, classic, amazing, terrible 80s movie that you should definitely go watch. And <laughs> sounds it's, awesome. Yeah. The Running Man is a story about a bunch of convicts in the future who fight, have a battle to the death on public television and people watch them do this. And of course, that's a rehash of the gladiator story, not just the movie, but the actual, the people who lived and fought, you know, 2000 years ago in the Roman Colosseum, right? And so there's a historian that says nothing is new. Will Durant says nothing is new except arrangement. And real artists don't starve. I talk about the concept of borrowing ideas, stealing like an artist, as Austin Kleon would say. How do you Take an idea that's already been done before and do it better. You take something old and you make it new. So you start with category. That's 80%. If you're going to write a business book, 80% of what you do is going to be kind of what everybody has done. It's probably going to be about 200 to 250 pages. You're going to have some success quotes in there. It's going to have like easy approachable language, some illustrations. These days, it might have some science-backed studies because that's really popular now. That's the boring You've got to be boring before you can be interesting because you've got to meet people's expectations. As you talk this out, like as I just think about myself, because, you know, one of the things that we tell our members all the time is this quote that I love from Larry Wingett, which is find your uniqueness and exploit it in the service of others. 
we really love this concept of find your uniqueness. But then when I tell the story of Take the Stairs, I say, well, you know, the Take the Stairs book more or less is a book about hard work, which yeah. is like the most unoriginal, ununique. Yeah. It's normal. I mean, yeah, it's ordinary. classically right in the 80%. Now we call it discipline. We call yeah. it overcoming procrastination. So we try to take it through that lens. And then, you know, the metaphor of doing things you don't want to do is a subtle distinction versus just doing something that's hard. Is that kind of like what you're talking about? 100%. I was thinking of Take the Stairs. And my belief, my contention is that before someone buys the book, the idea has to spread. People buy the idea of the book before they buy the book itself. They have to. Because they're hearing people talk, you can't read a book, you can't test drive, you can't really test drive a book, you read a sample or something. But most people hear enough people talk about a book that they go, "Uh, well, I guess I'm going to check out that book that everybody's talking about, right? And you had it baked into the title, right? You've got the... That classic, you know, success quote. I don't know. Is that your quote? Is that somebody else's quote? Right? Like, you know, you've got a... About the rent is due every day. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. I yeah. popularized it. It's a twist on something that I heard in college, but I definitely popularized that, made it public, but it's What's the often, quote again? So I don't but- butcher it. Uh, success is never owned. It's rented and the rent is due every day. Yeah. And then you've got the metaphor of like, I'm going to go out of my way to do something hard every day, i.e. take the stairs versus the elevator. So the metaphor is baked into the title. And that's the obstacle is the way is another example of that. It doesn't always happen that way. But if you can bake the big idea, that's an 80, 20, same but different shift. People go, wow, that's amazing. So you start with a category. So what I would recommend if you're writing, take the stairs today. Okay, Rory, go find at least five best-selling popular business books. Atomic are, Habits. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Like uh, just exactly. habits. There's been a bunch. In fact, there's a bunch that sell way better than Take the Stairs. And I'm like, yeah. crap, what did it's we a different miss? Day. Because they nailed it and somehow yeah. we missed it. And it's basically the same idea, a different approach, right? Like Atomic Habits, that's tiny habits. It's one small change, 1% change every single day is better than massive change, you know, infrequently. So read five popular business books, see what they all agree with, see what they all say. Oh, they all say you've got to work hard, you've got to do this and you've got to do that. Okay, cool, got it. Say that, because that's what works. So it's not like you can say, uh, like we're not going to work hard because people won't believe that. That'll seem absurd. And then find a 20% difference. That's your uniqueness, something unique, some flair that you can add to it. Ryan Holiday has done this really well with the subject of stoicism. He's taken something old and made it new again, but he's using modern stories, not just a bunch of like 2000 year old Roman dead guys. Right. And so that's how it works. Category, start with a category, find out what they all have in common, intentionally break a rule or two to kind of stand out. Right. There's a scene in Braveheart where the nobles finally join William Wallace, And he goes, all right, let's go, you know? And he tells the nobles, because they're on horses. Nobody else is on horses because they have horses, right? And he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go go hard right, go into the forest over there. We're going to go this way. We're going to meet the English and you go that way. And they're confused. And then one of them goes, oh, they think we run away. And he goes, exactly. And then I want you to flank them, right? Come in on the side. Like a flank is when somebody comes out and then you come in on the side, you attack them on the side, completely takes them off guard. So they do that and they win the battle that's what a big idea is. It's going, you think I'm going here and then flank, right? Like I hit you hard and you go, whoa. And the brain loves a little bit of cognitive dissonance, a little bit of like, whoa, 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 whoa. That can't be true. 
Is that true? That might be true. And there's 80% safety. There's like, yeah, it's packaged in a lot of safety because too much novelty. A friend of mine who's a neuroscientist says anything more than a three to 5% daily change in terms of habits, attitudes, et cetera, is too much in your brain. Will, your whole nervous system will actually shut down if you try to change too quickly, which is a whole other conversation. But the point is enough change, just like enough little change, enough novelty. It's like inception, right? Where you inject a little tiny idea that changes everything. That's a big idea. Hi, it's AJ Vaden, and thanks for listening to the Influential Personal Brand Podcast. Did you know that the ideas we share on the show are things we actually specialize in helping you implement? If you want to raise your public profile and turn your reputation into revenue, please visit freecall.brandbuildersgroup.com to sign up for a free brand strategy call with one of our personal brand strategists. Again, that's freecall.brandbuildersgroup.com to sign up for your free call. Talk to you soon. And then you're finding that. So that's what we're looking for. We're looking for that 20% twist, novelty, change, adaptation, flank, whatever you want to call it. But does it have to be true? And is it making it better? Or is it just different? Or can it be all of those? It's different. It doesn't have to be true. Uh, You know, have to be honest. You can lie and get a lot of people to believe you and you will be interesting for a while. And false ideas eventually get found out. So I don't recommend it. But the truth is that an idea doesn't have to be true for it to be interesting. It just doesn't. You know, there are plenty of memes and urban tales, urban fables that spread that are not true, right? But they spread for a while. And so we like them. I think it was that book by the Heath brothers made to stick where the opening story mm-hmm. is about that like internet story of the like guy going on a date, waking up in a bathtub full of ice and his liver has been removed. Remember that story forever uh-huh, ago? Yep. And they said, this story is not true, but it spread like crazy. Why? And they kind of break it down. So I would say it's like a good idea is a true idea. And most people think like the truth will set you free and it may set you free, but it doesn't necessarily make for great marketing. You know, if people can pardon my saying that what makes for great marketing and let's just go to Jesus for a second, because Jesus said the truth will set you free is I'm waiting um, for you to burst into flames right now, just but keep going. Well, Jesus said this, <laughs> Jesus did this. And all great political, religious, and thought leaders do this. They go, everybody thinks X, but what's actually true is Y. You have heard this, now I tell you this. You have heard eye for eye, tooth for tooth, now I tell you, love your enemy. Those are big ideas. Those are interesting ideas. What does he do? Starts with the familiar and then adds some novelty to it. So if you don't remember anything else, remember the phrase, everybody thinks X, but what's actually true is Y. Everybody thinks that success is just something that happens to lucky people. Or everybody thinks that, you know, like once you get to a certain level of success, you don't have to keep trying. But the truth is it's a daily battle or, you know, whatever. That would be the big idea of take the stairs. And then the last thing that I would add is there are tropes that you can use to do this better. And a the what? Tro- a trope. This is a what literary is a trope. trope. Yes, a trope a is- writer. Look, we're not playing Scrabble, dude. Like bring it down a notch. <laughs> a trope. I never heard that word. A trope. 
a trope is something that just works. It's a tactic. So for example, writers talk about tropes in writing fiction, telling stories, because fiction stories are formulaic. You know, if you've ever read Robert McKee's book, Story or Save the Cat, that's a trope. Save the Cat is a trope. And the trope is if you want people to like your hero, you have to get them to do something noble within the first 20 minutes of the movie. So, you know, Rocky is just kind of this like, you know, kind of dumb, you know, Italian guy in Philadelphia. And you see him like doing nice things for his neighbors, saying hello to the nice guy, et cetera. This works even with like anti-hero stories like, uh, you know, The Godfather or like Breaking Bad. Walter White, in the first episode, you see he's this hardworking science teacher who's got a disabled son and you like him because he's trying really hard. And that's the excruciating thing about that show is this guy gets progressively worse and worse. He is a villain and there's part of you that's still rooting for him. So that's a trope. And when we think about big ideas, things that just work, there are formulas. Everyone thinks X, but what's actually true is Y. And then some skins that you can put on that would be like old is new. Old is new is stoicism. Old is new is any like, I don't know, church that says, Hey, we're doing things the way they did in the New Testament 2000 years ago. And we assume that just because something's old, it's authoritative, right? But you see this all the time. Ah, oh, paleo, right? Like this is how the cavemen ate. Well, like, didn't they live to like age 40? Why are we doing this? No, 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 no. <laughs> cavemen did it. It's good. It doesn't make sense and it doesn't need to. It's interesting. So old is new. Good is bad or bad is good would be another one. Malcolm Gladwell's book, David and Goliath, all of Malcolm Gladwell's books do this, but David and Goliath is about why strength is weakness and weakness is strength. That's good is bad. Bad is good. We think strength is good. Well, sometimes it's not good. And the ketogenic diet would be an example of that. You know, you and I are roughly the same age, I think. And I remember growing up in the 80s and 90s being told that fat was bad, low fat diet, no fat, like you're reading the labels looking for fat, don't eat fat. Now you have, it's actually old as new because it's a version of Atkins, right? But a, a different take on it. And it's like, hey, this thing that you were told was bad, fat, we want you to eat as much of that as you possibly can. And so the ketogenic diet became popular, not because of the science, but because an entire generation of people were told something was bad and now they're being told it's good. And Interesting. This, the backing of it, this is being predictably irrational. People are predictably irrational, to quote Dan Ariely. The rationale behind it, the science convinces you of something you already emotionally want to be true. So good is bad, bad is good, big is small, small is big. Anything that appears to be one way and is another way, these are tactics and books that work well. Another one would be chaos is organized, right? Chaos is order. What appears to be frenetic and crazy and chaotic actually has a hidden organizational structure to it. That is the plot to every mystery movie, every Ocean's Eleven movie. What's going to happen? What's going to happen? There's the plan that goes completely wrong. And by the end of it, you realize this was George Clooney's plan all along. And so these are tactics that work well. So, you know, so you that's wanna, how you're digging yeah. in. And that's what you're looking for. You're just kind of going like, okay, where is the repositioning or the reimagining of the 80%. Yeah. It's almost like a punchline. I mean, in comedy, right? That's how we teach, we a, teach the psychology of laughter is you're, you want you get the audience thinking something and then you twist and that's where the laugh happens. That's the same thing. The science of comedy is interesting because it's about surprising people. When you delightfully surprise somebody, they laugh. When the surprise goes in another direction, they cry, right? So comedy and tragedy are the same thing. The result is just different. Ken Davis, a comedian, I think you know Ken, told me one time, here's how you tell a joke. 
you get a table and you put a tablecloth on the table and you set the table, you put, you know, plate and some silverware and a napkin and a glass and another glass, and then you pull the tablecloth, right? That's how you tell a joke. That's how you get an idea to spread. A joke is actually just an idea that's a funny idea that's spreading, right? Like a really good joke you remember and you tell other people and they laugh too if you told it right. And so a big idea is that you set the table, that's 80%, and then you pull the tablecloth. You change the game. And one of the ways that you change the game is you say, what you think is big is actually small, or what you think is small is actually big. That's the idea of the tipping point. People think that big things lead to big change. No, no, no. Little things lead to big change. Oh, wow. Good is bad. Bad is good. Chaos is order. Order is chaos and so on. Fascinating stuff. Okay. So what I hear you saying here is that, you know, writing a great book, much of writing a great book is nailing this core premise, this big idea, this twist. And then after that, like, I guess, once you're clear about that, then you're just kind of like extrapolating that out into a, like a fairly systematic presentation of that. Yeah. And to be fair, I mean, this is probably not all books. It's a lot of books, I think. But the kind of books that I'm interested in working on, the kind of books that I want to write, I want to work on with other people are big idea, nonfiction books that can be memoir, personal develop, business, whatever, but they're going to change the way people think about something. Because if you change the way people think about a given topic, you change the world. I'm not trying to like change the world, but I want to add you know, something good to it. And this is where we're trying to do that. So yeah, you would come up with the big idea because without the big idea, your book dies. It just does. That's the thing that we're dealing with these days is nobody's going to the library or Barnes and Noble and pulling your book off of a shelf and buying it out of curiosity. And if they do, that's like maybe one to 2% of your sales. And so you want it to have some backbone. You want it to have some gravitas and some oomph to it. And so you've got to start with the idea and then you front load the book with the big idea. You don't get to page 204 and go, oh, here's the thing that I want everybody to remember. And I want you to write a good book and I want the whole thing to be good and I don't want it to be fluff, but you front load with the big idea and then the rest of the book should illustrate that idea. And you can illustrate it narratively through an arc format, meaning every idea is building on itself and you're telling a story or even like a Malcolm Gladwell story or Malcolm Gladwell book, there's a narrative art to the book itself. And there's some big payoff at the end. There's an initial big idea. Then there's a bunch of little stories. And then there's like, it feels theatrical. Or like, it's like a movie and you go, oh, wow, that's what all this means. Or it's modular. Start with the big idea and then module by module by module, illustrate it. So if I'm writing the tipping point, little things lead to big change and I'm writing it modularly, Every chapter is a module in that as if you were almost like teaching a course on it. So, okay, little thing number one looks like this. Little thing number two looks like this. Little thing number three looks like that. And that's how you do that. That's fascinating. This is so cool and interesting. And like the formula that we used for my TED Talk, Mm -hmm. you know, we do this big ordeal about why my uh, second book title sucked because we called it Procrastinating on Purpose, but we called the TED Talk How to Multiply Time and my talk went viral. And this twist that, you know, you don't manage time, you multiply time. Yeah, that's uh, it. And can I pick on that idea for a minute? Yeah. So everybody thinks X, but what's actually true is Y. So everybody thinks you manage time. And the truth is you blank time. This is where most people get stuck because the way that you come up with an interesting idea is you don't just come up with the opposite of the thing that you just said. So everybody thinks you manage time, but you don't. Well, that's, what do you mean you don't? Why not? That's not interesting enough. The interesting, the 20% has to sound absurd right? But it's just a little piece of it. So it can sound absurd because it's been encased in a lot of normalcy, if that makes sense. And so 
everybody thinks you manage time, but the truth is like, I've heard you manage energy, right? Like I've heard that before, but you took that one step farther, you know, into the stratosphere and you go, you multiply time. Well, that's absurd, Rory. You can't multiply time. Time is time. And that's what makes it so interesting is well, it's absurd. The X part it. is actually not that you manage time. The X is you think you can't create time. Oh my gosh. Actually, yeah. you can multiply time. And yeah. the way that we say is that as you go, well, you can't create time inside of one day, but that's why the way you multiply time is by spending time on things today that create more time tomorrow. Mm. And it is possible to multiply time if you think out into the future. So it you know fits that for me. But anyways, it's like- And I would say to your credit, because I read that book, it's not just some vague esoteric idea that you're trying to get people to agree with you. It's a kind of absurd idea, at least in theory. And then you have all these, I remember still, like you said something like, you know, most people think it takes like twice as much time to train somebody to do something for you. And the fact is it takes how much? 30X. We call, the, <laughs> we call yeah. it the 30, the 30X oh my gosh. rule. Yeah. Yeah. But if you spend, but even if you spend 30 times the amount of time it took you to do it once, right, is what you should spend training someone to do it. But then even over the course of a year, right, it's like a 733% return on that time. So what I found interesting about the book is you had all these super practical research, like you've done all this stuff, research backed ideas. We're like, Hey, here's how this works. That's how that works. You start with an absurd idea and then it's encased in a lot of practicality. Like you have to prove your idea. And if you can't prove your idea, then you just have some crazy idea. And what we want is a big idea that has some grounding to it. You go, no, no, no. See, this is how this works. Then you've got something that will spread. Yeah. Well, my friend, this is so stimulating, Jeff. Like it's uh-huh. so cool and fascinating and fun. Where should people go if they want to learn about you? You're obviously one of our preferred vendors at Brain Builders Group that we recommend for folks. Mm-hmm. And so if you're one of our members, you can just go in your portal and request an introduction to Jeff. We'll make it happen for you. But like in terms of people following you and saying connected, like what's the best way to do that? Sure. You mentioned my website, goingjetter.com. You can go there and find stuff about me. If this is stimulating to you and you think you have a big idea for a book, feel free to email me and uh, send me your big idea. And it shouldn't be eight paragraphs long. It should be a sentence or two. And I would challenge you to think, what is the category? Where are you starting? How are you going to add some novelty? And if you'd like feedback on your idea, I do this on every podcast these days because I really do care about better ideas going out into the world because better ideas make a better world. And I want the ideas to be true and good, but I also want them to be interesting because most good ideas die before they have the chance to make the impact that they want. So if you want to share your idea, feel free to email me, jeff at goingswriter.com. And the formula that I would encourage you to use is everybody thinks X, but what's actually true is Y. And use Rory's example of, you know, everybody thinks that you can't create time, but the truth is you can multiply it. Like, like that's what makes it such a good idea, such an interesting idea is the, the second part is surprising. Wait, like multiply? Like you can't just create time. You can actually multiply. You can get more of this thing that we all kind of feel is a finite resource. That's powerful. And I want everybody to have a big idea like that. And to not start writing until they do, because otherwise it's a slog and you need the energy of a powerful idea that you think is going to change the world in order to get through the really difficult parts and process of writing a book. So feel free to email that to me, jeff at goinswriter.com, G-O-I-N-S writer.com. I love that. Better ideas make a better world. I'm grateful that there's people like you that care about the quality of the ideas and the shaping them and in a weird way, I feel like the more noise that's out there and the easier that it is, it's starting to get a point where 
everything looks like noise that if you have a really sharp idea, people are keen to notice it quickly. Yeah, that's right. And uh, so we appreciate your work, brother. We'll stay connected. We wish you all the best. Sounds good. Thanks, Ryan. That's all we've got for this episode of the Influential Personal Brand Podcast. But here's some great news. One of the most valuable things you can do to help us and other new potential listeners to find our show is for you to both rate this show and leave a review. So as a special bonus for you, if you leave us a comment in iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen, take a screenshot of your review and email it to podcast at brandbuildersgroup.com. We will give you free lifetime access to 25 of our most popular interviews on video in your own private members-only area. So go right now, rate us, review us, and then send a screenshot of it into podcast at brandbuildersgroup.com. And we will get you set up with free lifetime access to our most popular video interviews all in one place. Also, please just share, share, share this podcast with anyone who you think might enjoy it. And until next time, remember that building a business isn't nearly as valuable as building a reputation.